You are listening to the Rooted Ministry Podcast, a conversation advancing gospel-centered ministry to youth. This episode was recorded at a workshop session at our 2018 conference in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about Rooted, visit our website at www.rootedministry.com. Um, well, if you guys are here, you're here to hear a workshop on creating space. Um, when they asked me about a year ago to do this, I gave them the title to create space and slowly have turned out to hate it. So um, this is what we're actually talking about. We are talking about the same thing that I wanted to talk about. I just changed the title. So, and it's really an easy change because instead of creating space, we're actually just creating a place. All right. It's real easy. Your minds can go there. It'll be fine. Um, but here's why I wanted to change it and was so bummed that I did that to myself um, is because um, what we are not talking about is like cool rooms and couches and lighting and stuff, right? And and I was kind of put into the, the little like descriptor of it, but that is not what we are talking about, okay? Um, I am uh, an artist in, in training and, and so that is something, aesthetics is something that I actually do really enjoy and I'm gonna share a little bit about that. Um, I think there's so much to be had about having a, a beautiful space. Um, part of how we do Rooted is we choose churches that, I mean, are ginormous, evidently, according to this weekend. But, and also, thank you for making it because it's a trail. Um, but, but specifically, we also look for churches that whose sanctuary is beautiful. There's definitely something for that. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is what does it look like to create a place where you come, where you lead, where your students walk in, and they hear and know and see and feel and experience the gospel in their lives. That's what we're talking about, is how do you create a place like that? Um, now, I say that, and I am in no way an expert at all in these things. Um, culture is something that I think about on the reg. Um, it is very much in my blood. Um, I'm going to show you guys three passages today, um, one in Hosea, one in Acts, and one in Isaiah that have changed my world um, personally and how and are the reasons why I think the way I do about culture um, and creating culture and being a culture maker, um, but ultimately has nothing to do with the building. You guys could be meeting in a cornfield for all I know, and I promise you that the spirit will be there with you. Um, and, uh, and, and so I kind of want to just put that out there a little bit. Um, also, before we get started, there are three books, four books, actually. Um, actually, there's a bajillion books because I read a lot. But um, I have three because I can't find my fourth one. But I will tell you the Covenant Seminary booth is actually giving away a copy of this, of the other one. Um, Bonhoeffer's, um, Bonhoeffer's Youth Leader um, is a fantastic book. It looks at Bonhoeffer's life together and addresses it in the youth ministry context. It is a beautiful, beautiful book um, by Andrew Root. Um, so I wanna uh, con- kind of sh- share that with you guys as far as what does it look like to build culture and, and a lot of my mindset and, and thoughts behind it have come out of that book. Um, a lot of it has actually also come out of uh, this book. This is called Spiritual Friendship by Wesley Hill. Um, Wesley Hill is a, he identifies as a Christian gay celibate um, teacher. He's a professor. Um, what we're going to be talking about today and creating a culture that, um, that kind of oozes the gospel, we need to know, and, and uh, we need to know, our students need to know that they, that they have a place where they can feel safe and vulnerable, where they can feel like they can come and be themselves and hear the gospel and that the gospel is still for them. Um, and one of the things that I love about Wesley Hill's work, and specifically in spiritual friendship, is he looks a ton at the, the what is the call of the church? 
in this conversation of, of providing a place for people who are, are just feeling at their worst, right? And so spiritual friendship is one I want to commend to you. Um, the other two are, and um, this is Sky Jathani's With. Um, I went on sabbatical, I was blessed with it a couple of years ago, and this book not only kicked my tail, but it drastically changed how I wanted to be with God, and therefore that kind of came out into how I wanted to be with my leaders and my volunteers and with my students. So I want to so say that one. Yes. So it will change your world. Buy it for everybody and for yourself. Um, Sky Jasani. So these will be up here later, and you guys can come and look at them. It's a hard tea. Jatani. Oh, see, I haven't talked to him yet, so I haven't figured that out. Okay, good job. Um, okay, and then this one is uh, Keeping Place by Jen Pollock-Michael, um, and it is just that. It's what does it look like to build a home? Um, and uh, that's kind of what we're talking about today, is whenever we're talking about creating a place, creating a place where your students can feel and know and, and hear the gospel and grow in that, we're essentially talking about creating a home. Um, uh, I am someone who, I grew up in, uh, there's, there were seven people in my family, all right, so there's five kids, there's two parents. Uh, we uh, grew up in uh, southern Indiana. My dad is a civil engineer, so when he found out that he was having more children, including twins, because I'm the last of the bunch with my twin sister, um, he was like, her house ain't big enough. And so he started to add on to it um, in a very interesting, creative ways. And um, I grew up in this house that's like, there's zero more room for anybody else, right? But I loved the idea that like when I would come home from work, because um, I had jobs since I was like 14, when I would come home from school, when I would come home from church or youth group, um, I always hated it when I would get home and it's only like nine o'clock at night and my parents have all of the lights off. And the house is dead dark and I pull into the driveway, everything's dark and I'm like, this makes it feel like our house is dead. I don't know why I thought that, but I did, right? I loved it instead. So when I go home still, and especially at Christmas time, I'm like, all the lights are on all the time. I will pay the power bill. I do not care. Lights, lights, lights. Um, because what that speaks to me and to my heart was that light meant home. Light meant everybody was safe. Light meant that, like, this is a welcoming place. Come in to this, right? Um, I still am the one that's in charge of doing all the Christmas decorating at my parents' house um, because they won't do it right. And, um, and, and because I'm like, no, if this is the feeling that I want. When I come home to Indiana, I want to see the lights, and I want to know that I'm welcome, and I want to know that this is, this is, that this is home for me, then I'm going to be the one to put up the Christmas lights, right? Um, why am I like that? I'm like that in the same way that you are like that and your students are like that and that we want our homes to be safe places. We want to know that we can walk in uh, to our house and, and, and we're going to be accepted no matter what has happened outside of it. Now, unfortunately, we all live in a very broken world and um, I have plenty of students where home is actually not a safe place for them. Um, and I have lots of students where home is. I have lots of students who, um, whose home is now home for some of our other students, right? Um, and I know that you guys are, are, are definitely the same way. And so how do you create a place that represents this earthly longing that we have for home, for safety, for vulnerability, for, for intentionality? Those are kind of our big three things that we're looking at. It, how do you create that? Well, we create it because we, when we desire it, 
right? Because of everything we're talking about this weekend, we desire an earthly home because we are actually really desiring our eternal one. Every scripture we've been looking at, and we're going to look at three more today, continues to speak to the fact that we are created for something bigger than this and something better than this in a home that it feels so much, uh, that is full of so much more peace than anything we have ever known. We are built for that, and yet our earthly bodies and our earthly hearts and our earthly minds, our, our spirits are longing for that here and now too. And I think the call of the church actually is that we speak into that now. We don't just, we, we, we do exactly what Jason just taught us, and it's that continue to speak hope into your students. And also, the call of the church is to do that together and well, and to create places where our students can hear that hope, especially if they're not hearing at home. Um, our longing for home is both earthly and it is heavenly, right? Um, I... Uh, like I said, I think a lot about culture. Um, I have a, I live down in Atlanta, Georgia. I live in probably the coolest part of the city. Um, and I have this house that when I first moved to Atlanta, I didn't know anybody. And I specifically told my church that hired me. I was like, y'all got to help me find a place. <laughs> I don't know where to look. I don't know anybody. And I'm not living in an apartment. That was kind of my thing. I was like, I can't do apartments. I'll give me it somehow. Right. And in God's goodness, I was blessed to find um, a house that needed and someone else to move into it with a couple other girls. And this uh, house has a backyard, has a front porch, like a southern front porch, right? I like searched high and low and found like the perfect porch swing to go on it and got it for like 30 bucks. I was so stoked. Um, And um, this house has become a safe haven for people. Um, It has become um, a place where I very intentionally have created a culture where, again, I wanted people to step into my house and to feel and to know the gospel, right? Um, We have these crazy big parties, because I also think celebrating is a huge part of scripture and a huge part of what we're meant to be doing on this side of heaven. And so we have these crazy big parties. And out of that, people who are not Christians and Christians have have come together and have celebrated and have talked about really, really difficult and hard things. Um, And they do that all because somehow this little house that God's blessed us with has felt like home for them. Um, Jen Pollock Michael in this uh, in this book, she's it's beautiful. I, I want you all to read it. Um, she says this: the biblical narrative actually begins and ends at home. From the Garden of Eden to the New Jerusalem, we are hardwired for place and for permanence, for rest and for refuge, for presence and protection. We long for home because we welcome because welcome was our first gift of grace. And it will be our last. Wow. Can you say that again? Yeah. Um, the biblical narrative begins and ends at home. From the Garden of Eden to the New Jerusalem, we are hardwired for place and for permanence, for rest and refuge, for presence and protection. We long for home because welcome was our first gift of grace, and it will be our last. I love giving wayward travelers a semblance of home and when building a ministry or an event even we have that opportunity to create a home for someone whether it's a student who's grown up in your church or it's their best friend that they just invited from school we are all longing for home because our souls are built for it right the story of God's people is that that is a constant search for home the place to dwell with the Lord to feel at peace the place to no longer worry the promised land right We all want that. We want a place where we can be fully ourselves 
and fully flourish as our new selves. We all want it because we've all, we've all lost it, right? That's what happened in the fall. We lost our home and we lost our truest version of home. And the gospel of God who gifts to us and identifies for us our sense of place and our sense of space speaks to this. The gospel, a gospel-centered culture, gives us stability as part of the eternal hope for us as God's people. And so um, I want to look at a couple of scriptures with you guys. Um, Because the gospel that works in us, it works in us to become people and to change us and to transform us into people who radiate safety and who draw out vulnerability. We become people who intentionally point to the source of that full safety and that that vulnerability and that intentionality in Jesus Christ, right? Um, So I want to do something with y'all where I um, want to walk you through a little bit, if you guys would um, imagine with me. Um, you are walking into a church. Um, there's a really good chance that you are going to be greeted at the door by someone because most churches by this time, they all have greeters, right? You have a volunteer. It's official position is to be a morning greeter, right? They say hi and good morning. And they maybe hand you a bulletin for the service, right? Um, or you walk past that first greeter and then you come into like a second greeter at the actual sanctuary (laughs) doors and they say hi and good morning to you again. And they hand you a bulletin. And then maybe you've got time to stand up and shake hands with people in front and behind you during worship service, or you have some sort of welcome center with like semi-good coffee, and you politely say, excuse me, while you reach for a napkin or whatever, right? Service happens. You stand and you sit when you're supposed to. You hear the word of God. You feel uplifted and joyous. The benediction is given. You smile as you walk out of the lobby. You pass greeters that you've already said hi and hello to and goodbye, and now you're saying goodbye to them, whatever. And you're not even like 200 feet from the church before you realize that you actually don't remember anybody's name, nor are you sure that they even asked for yours. Mm-hmm. You've had a dozen hellos, a couple of was nice meeting yous, but you're still going home, not knowing anyone, and not really connecting with anyone. And maybe that was your first time in a church. Maybe that was your 20th or maybe that's your 200th and your church is ginormous. Um, But we all long for home, friends, and yet most weeks we miss it on Sunday mornings. And the same is true for your students. There is a semblance where we come for church. We come um, to, to meet with God, and we are searching for home. And a lot of the times the way that we think and, and, and handle Sunday mornings, we, we miss it. We miss an opportunity per, to provide that. Um, in my own church, uh, I call it affectionately the Hall of Death. Um, oh, yeah, I know, right? Um, our church was built in multiple stages um, at different parts of growth, and we have this hallway that the only way you can get into our, ca- our like, student area is you have to get dropped off at the, it's like a really weird parking lot. You get dropped off, and then uh, you have to, like, walk up these stairs and go down the long hallway of death that is like boring and dark and and we can't do anything about it because of the way that the church is built it's terrible and at the end of that hallway of death though you see life because you see the neon sign that says youth cafe (laughs) right and um i call it the hallway of death because i'm like this is this is terrible for all of our students that walk in here who are already feeling lonely who are already feeling scared from showing up at a place, who already, they call this place church home, but they're like, but are my friends here? Are they not here? Whatever, right? They get dropped off, and they have to walk down a hallway of death, and they're already experiencing every insecurity that any middle schooler or high school ever has in this long walk 
waiting to see, is there somebody there that is going to meet me in my loneliness, that's going to meet me in my hard week, that's going to meet me in my stress, or am I just going to show up and I'm going to be the only one there, right? Like, it is a hall of fear. We are called as the church to actually create places and spaces for our students to come in and to to, to be able to, ex they can experience that, but to immediately hit a moment where they are just flooded with the grace of God. Again, I said, we're not talking about how to make a space look really cool, okay? But it's important, I think, and I think scripture tells us it's important for us to consider the places in which we are. Um, and how do we allow for those places and how do we use the, the, the gifting of them and um, sometimes the weaknesses of them um, to remind us that, yeah, we're meant to be creating places that are safe, that are vulnerable, that are intentional with our kids. Um, this past February, the New York Times published an opinion article. It's fantastic. It's short. It's called um, A Generation Emerging from the Wreckage cool title, right? A Generation Emerging from the Wreckage. The author, David Brooks, interviewed uh, college students from about 30 different countries, super competitive schools, so like Harvard, Yale, Davidson, and he asked them questions about how they see the world, right? And they had a lot to say about, um, about the world regarding their lack of trust in large institutions. Can't, like, fault them for that one. Um, their fear about the workplace and agreeing that they don't really have a common truth, and that's okay. Everybody's truth gets to be your own truth. But weirdly, they aren't actually hopeless, all right? These college students aren't hopeless. They don't just see anything currently, uh, they, it, they're, they're, so they're not hopeless, they just don't really see that anything's currently working, but they have hope that maybe somebody will figure it out. But the article ends like this, with one student commenting, we are more connected than we're more apart, which I know by this point all of you all have read that same research. We are more connected because of social media, but we are more apart than ever. And another simply asking, how do you even create a relationship? Not sure about you, <laughs> but a common thing that I'm noticing within my students is that they are all very comfortable to sit at home on their bed texting each other, and, but yet have no idea how to actually connect with one another. A big part, literally uh, for nine, I've been at my church for almost 10 years. This is my, my, I just experienced my 10th summer there. And for nine of those summers, I had to orchestrate every single sort of hangout because my kids did not know how. Um, this summer, there has been fruit from that. That's a different story. God is good. But I have this other student. Um, her name, I won't tell her name because we're recording this. I have another student, uh, actually multiple students, who I, I was flipping through Instagram this morning, and <laughs> I saw that they posted a selfie, but like one of those dramatic selfies where they're looking out the window. <laughs> right? And it's like... Who wants to hang out with me? Mm. That's really all it said. Who wants to hang out with me? I have so many students that do that. I'm like, I know you. I know you because every Sunday you come here and you sit in a small group and you laugh your butt off. I know you. Um, and I know that you have all of these people's cell phone numbers, and yet you're still sitting here taking dramatic selfies of yourself saying, who wants to hang out with me? Friends, we are in the business of youth ministry. We're in the business of saving lives, of calling our students to life out of death in the name of Jesus Christ. And y'all, it is a long game. My student that posted that selfie is so unbelievably connected in our ministry and in our church. Everyone knows who she is, and yet she is still longing for home. It is a long game. But the long game builds relationships, and I do think that that's where healing lives.
this is a personal call for me, if you haven't figured that out already. Um, when people ask me what my life is about, um, it's, it's about Jesus. And it's about creating places for people to meet Jesus. That's my life. So um, there are these three scriptures that I've mentioned 500 times but not actually told you what they are yet, so we're going there now. Um, <laughs> there are three passages of scriptures that have built this into my bones over the last decade or so of doing ministry. Um, and uh, they are, we're going to look at Hosea 2. Hosea 2, Acts 17, and Isaiah 61. So if you will first go with me to Hosea 2. Um, I do, friends, I do believe that, um, again, I'm not an expert at all. This is just stuff I think about a lot. And um, I do think when we were talking about creating a place for the gospel to, um, to grow, that is all the power of the Spirit. Please hear that first. I know it. I absolutely know it. But I also think, now just but, and I also believe that Scripture tells us and points us to ways um, where as we are in the world we can, we can grow environments and grow places um, and create spaces for our students and I think we do that in safety and in vulnerability and intentionality so we're going to look at safety first um, so look at Hosea chapter 2 um, Hosea is a prophet right and it's, it's a beautiful beautiful story um, and at the time uh, that these words are being written uh, the Israelites are <laughs> in their place, right? They're in their place of not trusting God again. And uh, we have Hosea as a prophet being called to do these crazy things, like marry a woman he, that uh, Gomer, and that's a whole other story, right? But what I want to point out in chapter 2 is the promise that we have from God for an eternal home and what that speaks to our earthly home. So look at uh, chapter 2. Verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the balls from your lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. This is our key thing. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. Now, if you jump up real fast to verse 15, uh, and I will make a, the valley of Achor a door of hope, um, that word Achor uh, means trouble. Another way to translate that is hopelessness. So in the valley of hopelessness, I will create a door of hope. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. And then jump down to verse 23. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say you are my God. Um... This passage became an anchor for me um, at a time when my church was uh, in a real place of war. It's the best way I've got it. <laughs> it was uh, our senior pastor had just been asked to resign. Um, there was fractions and divisions throughout the church. Everything was on fire. It was completely chaotic and crazy town. And all I needed and all I wanted <laughs> was, mm, I need peace. 
And often, anytime there is a division within a church, the last place anybody looks at is the youth group. They assume kids have no idea. They assume kids don't care. <laughs> That's never true, ever. <laughs> and I, I was feeling the need for safety, but I had also only been there for six years or that, uh, four years at that point. And then I looked at it with my students who grew up there, and they're looking at everything like, what are these adults doing? <laughs> and they needed safety. Um, three months after our senior pastor was asked to resign, I threw together a, 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 a retreat because I was like, we gotta get the kids out. <laughs> we have to have a weekend away from the crazy. Um, and that came out of this passage, out of us desiring to say, God promises us a safe place. He promises us that in his power, he'll provide that safe place. And in that way, friends, I think it is the call of the church to also step into that and to say, where can we also provide safety? Um, I had, um, I do want to say that, you know, there's, there is a sense of um, when a safety is kind of like a buzzword right now, somebody told me that and I was like, oh, a buzzword, I didn't realize, I just like the word safe, but it's a buzzword. Um, so therefore I feel like I have to clarify a little bit. Um, <laughs> When we're talking about safety, we are essentially just saying, like, the world is broken. Homes are not safe. Not always are our churches safe, right? The gospel, however, whenever we understand it, when we believe it, when we rely on it, it calls us and creates in us and transforms our heart into being safe people because we recognize and know we are in deep need of safety. And that means our students are in deep need of safety. And whenever we hold on to Jesus, it actually creates us into safe people, people that can look at each other and say, you're right, the world is broken. You're right, I'm sorry this is happening. You're right, you're right, everything hurts. Come and have a respite for a while. Come and know that here you can be seen fully no matter what it is, and you will hear the gospel and you will be loved. That's what we mean by safety. Um, the second thing is vulnerability. Turn to Acts 17. Um, Paul is um, in Athens and he is speaking to all of the intelligent intellectuals of Athens and uh, it's like walking into the coffee house or the bar of the day, right? Um, I go to both, so like I'm like, yeah, I, I, could, I do this a lot. Um, <laughs> and uh, he is, he's speaking to these men and they're like, wow, you're smart, talk some more. Uh, and so he, he gets up and he tells them, you know, I've been walking around your city and I've been noticing that you have statues to all of these different gods. You even were so thoughtful that you were like, you don't want to miss anybody. So you've got the statue that's literally titled to an unnamed God. Let me tell you who that God is. This is also a scripture for intentionality, but it's not the one we're going to use. We're going to use this for vulnerability, right? So here is Paul. And he is speaking to them about God. And look at chapter 17 in Acts, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And this is our point. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now, 
And this is also my theological understanding for why everyone should have birthday parties every single year. <laughs> separate conversation, separate <laughs> workshop. But, um, y'all, <laughs> we have a God who placed boundaries on us, who specifically said you are going to be born in this time and at this place so that you would reach out for me and in reaching out for me you would find me. He decided that this was going to be the generation that we impacted. He decided that. He decided in his sovereignty that this was go- you were going to be in the church that you were in. As hard and as terrible as, and as frustrated as you may be right now or as joy-filled and as excited as you are to serve. In his sovereignty, for whatever reason, he decided that this is where you're going to be and this is the generation that we are working with and that we are serving, right? And in that, he says that he's determined the time set for us and the exact places where they should live and he's therefore determined the time set for our students and the exact places where they should live and the exact churches they should be in, the exact youth ministries they should be a part of. And he did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Y'all, is it not the most vulnerable thing to trust a God that you cannot see, to, to reach out for a God that you cannot see, knowing and trusting that he is going to be there when you, when you reach out for him, right? There's vulnerability of trusting that God has placed you exactly where he has for the intention of you to find him. Vulnerability in reaching out and not knowing what you'll find or how you're going to come about it and being able to just say, like, okay, God, I am I'm trusting that you're going to be there. And not only that, there's a vulnerability in us recognizing our need to reach out. There is vulnerability in us recognizing, like, I'm not okay. I am broken, my sin is this bad, and I need hope, and I need a savior out of that. And I think part of the call of the church is that we provide a place where our students can experience that vulnerability because they're watching leaders do that as well. We need to provide a place where our students um, are experiencing that vulnerability because we're meeting them in it. When they show up with all of their questions and you're like, I, we literally talked about this for the last two weeks and somehow you're still not getting, okay, all right. Um, that is them vulnerably coming to you, being like, I don't know how to believe this thing. And for us to create a place where they can bring that vulnerability and to say, I don't, I know I'm supposed to believe I've been here my whole life, <laughs> but I don't believe this thing. Or, hey, I know that I stood up at junior high camp two years ago and like gave my life to Christ and said that, that, that I wanted him to be my king but now here I am in high school and whole, all world is different and I would like, I don't, I'm not saying I'm taking it back I'm just saying I'm questioning it <laughs> right? They need to know that they can have vulnerability with us in that, that they can bring that to us they can bring their doubts, they can bring their concerns the last one we're going to look at is Isaiah 61 um this is actually the passage that my whole ministry is built off of. Um, and we're going to look at it in terms of what does it speak to and what does it say about building places of intentionality. Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 through 4. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And they will rebuild the ruined cities, or I'm sorry, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. And they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. What this chapter is speaking to, and if you'll remember um, in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, we actually have Jesus standing up in his temple, his home temple, right? He goes home, he's like doing his thing, and he's, he's reading scripture in his temple, and, and he unrolls a scroll to this, and he reads it, and he shuts it, and he says, in your hearing, this is being fulfilled, a.k.a. this is about me. This is the passage that Jesus uses to begin his entire ministry. And what we're watching, what we see is that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on him. He is the one that is going, that, that did bind up the brokenhearted, that did proclaim freedom for the captives. But then because he did that for us, his spirit is now in us. So this now becomes a passage about him working in us. And then we become the oaks of righteousness <laughs> who then in verse four, rebuild, restore, and renew. And there is a, a an ownership and a promise and a, a, an active call to be intentional with the freedom that we have whenever we believe in Jesus. When the spirit of the Lord is in us and we have the power to speak the gospel into our students' lives, I think part of the um, response to that, part of the gospel growing in us, is that it teaches us how to be intentional how to to look at the world and say how do we become rebuilders and renewers and restorers of the generation right it's a it's a voice and a call to action this is i think the the these three things are kind of the church's call to be agents of hospitality and ambassadors of places for us to meet with jesus this is our role um and part of why this is our role is because everyone, all right, there's kind of three things that your students are walking in with, that we walk in with to church, um, that you guys all walked in with actually to this conference, um, is that everyone wants and is created for community, right? Um, how many of you guys came to the conference by yourself? God bless you. Um, right. You walk in, you don't know anybody, you try, this is part of why we do Friday night diner rounds, right? It's part of why we do dinners and lunches all together. It's like we are so desperate and we recognize the larger we get as a conference, it gets harder to connect y'all. But that's like a huge piece of what we want to do here at Rooted is that you would not feel alone in the work that you do, in the ministry that you do, or at this conference for that matter. But everyone walks into a conference, <laughs> just like they walk into church, just like your students walk into youth ministry, everyone wants and is created for community, right? Secondly, everyone is broken and scared that they're not going to be accepted into that community. <laughs> and third, everyone wishes that they weren't broken and scared and that instead they could be rock stars and find fullness in that community, right? Like that is, those are the three things that your students are experiencing every single week, that we experience every single week, that we experience whenever we walked into this conference, as amazing and awesome as Jesus as it is, right? But yet these three realities also point 
central role of the church to create a place that addresses those three things. That addresses that everyone wants and is created for community, that everyone's broken and scared they won't be accepted into it, and that everyone wishes that they weren't broken and scared and that they could be rock stars, right? Um, another way to say this, I'm sorry, the, the three realities, they, so the, the role of the church, I think, is that you first have to acknowledge that everyone wants to be a part of a community and speak to how good a desire that is, right? It's the role of the church to help you recognize the impossibility that all people will always be cared for perfectly because that is true. I love all of you and I do not know you. I love you because of Jesus. Yeah. I love all of your students and I do not know them. I love them because of Jesus. Y'all, we are never going to perfectly hit a 10 out of 10 every Sunday or Wednesday or Friday or Thursday or Monday or Tuesday or Saturday. That's all the days, right? Um, whatever day your ministry happens on. <laughs> We're never going to hit a 10 out of 10. There's always going to be a kid that goes home and their parents say, what'd you do? And they'll be like, no one talked to me. <laughs> There's always going to be a day. There's always going to be a kid that says it, right? Um, part of the church's role is to help recognize and for the church to also recognize that they're not the saviors either but and recognizes the impossibility that all people will always be cared for perfectly that's a piece of it the third thing is that the role of the church is to create a place that provides a saving measure for those who wish that they weren't broken and scared another way to say all of this is that it's the role of the church to show our need for jesus it's the role of the church to show that we can't be jesus it's the role of the church to remind us that God has given us Jesus. Y'all can literally walk out now. That's all I need you to know. Mm, all right. Mm. You don't have to, though. Stay. I have a little bit more. Okay. Um, but that's our thing. Our, our need for Jesus is that we need to know that we are safe. That we can't be Jesus. We need to know that we vulnerably can come and say, we can't be Jesus. I, need, and I, I can't be Jesus. I can't be Jesus. I can't be Jesus. To be reminded that God has given us Jesus is intentionally, intentionally thinking about our ministries and the things that we do in those ministries to make sure that they are pointing our kids to Jesus constantly. In Hosea 2, some questions I want you all to think about as you are thinking about your ministries is, um, when do you feel the most safe? And not just in a physical way, though some that is a reality for, for many of us and for many of our students, is that home is physically not a safe place. But safety in terms of when are you the most seen and the loved, no matter what. If you have a, mind, a thing in your heart and in your mind, an image, a person, a place, know that that is a gift from God pointing you to a higher reality of heaven. In vulnerability, um, in Acts 17, God placed us where we are and, and with who we are so that we may reach out for him to show our need, right, which is incredibly vulnerable, to reach out and to ask for help, to reach out and show your, our battle scars. It's incredibly vulnerable. In Isaiah 61, in, in showing intentionality, uh, the spirit is in you, it's in me, to overcome the world, that we will move to restore, rebuild, renew these devastating places, right? To do the work of the kingdom that requires intentionality, that requires us to sit and to think, okay, who is this kid that's coming? Who are all the other kids that are coming? Okay, how is this tent going to work? Like, if they're all together, is that one kid going to get just, like, pummeled in the middle of the night, right? Like, there's, there's, a, a, there's work 
in our job of being intentional and of trying to think through how do we continue to create places where our kids are going to meet Jesus. It requires looking at our current situation and asking, I think, overall, King Jesus, how can I prepare this ministry and this offering for you? For us, it teaches us to, um, and encourages us, I think, intentionally to teach our, friend, our students how to build friendships, right? And then the next step can be how, how to share the gospel together. And I say that that's actually kind of right where our ministry is right now. Um, like I said, I've been in um, at my church by God's good grace and sovereignty and peace um, for almost 10 years now. <laughs> And I have watched us come through so much. Um, I've watched my students uh, really be like that first kind of real smartphone generation, right? Um, of them getting it whenever they first it was just the high schoolers and then it slowly is becoming the middle schoolers and now like fifth graders. And I'm like, why do you need a phone? You can't do anything. Um, you just want it for Fortnite. Anyway. Um, and they, they literally, they would not hang out together. <laughs> they wouldn't hang out together. They wouldn't hang out together. They would text each other. Um, or Snapchat each other, that one that became a thing. And then they would show up to youth group or they would show up to our one-on-ones at Starbucks and they would be able, I would be like, so how are you doing? And they're like, I'm so lonely. I don't have any friends. And I'm like, let me see your phone. Who are all these people? <laughs> what do you mean you don't have friends? What does that mean, right? Um, and it literally was teaching them how to, and encouraging them how to ask other people to hang out. And <coughs> weirdly, and because God is good, this past summer, um, we have watched that actually happen, where our students have um, formed, we went, we had a, a series in the spring on sex and dating, right? And we talked to them a lot about their call in, in trying to date one another or just in not dating because they all grew up to each, with each other like, ew, gross. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but also keep an open eye. Anyway, um, they said, <laughs> no, I didn't do it. Um, but I said, uh, you know, we taught them that they, I was like, the call of you being brothers and sisters in Christ is that your job is to hold a mirror up to one another and remind one another about the crown of glory that sits on your head and sits on your friend's head. Like it is your job in relationship to look at one another, to hold a mirror up and say, do not forget, do not forget what Jesus has done for you. So even if it is um, a guy in my youth group talking to a girl in my youth group and they are not wanting to date at all, but guy knows about the guy that's wanting to date the girl, it is his job and he knows everything about that other guy. It is his role as as her brother in Christ to walk over to her and be like, I love you, here's a mirror, don't forget what Jesus has done for you, he's not good. That's your role. That's, that was the role, right? So they bought into that by God's good grace. They bought into it. And then we go away to summer camp. And uh, the first night of summer, I intentionally bring that back up. Because I'm like, guys, you have five days to do this. Five days where you are living on top of each other. Five days where you are not going to see anybody else. You can text as many people as you want to, but none of them get to drive six hours to Hilton Head. So, like, five days. You have five days to constantly be holding the mirror up to one another. And they were, they were like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We bought into that once. Yeah. Okay. Y'all, it was the most beautiful, weird thing that I've ever watched happen. <laughs> we had the smallest group we've ever taken to that camp. We had about 30 kids. Normally, we take 40 or 50. So I was already down because I'm a person, and I was mad that we only had 30 kids. 
God is way better than I am. Praise him. Because instead I would look out on the beach and there would be a circle of 30 kids. I would look out in the ocean and there's a circle of 30 kids refusing to group up because they're like, no, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. On the way back from, and then like, it was actually the weirdest, it was the weirdest week because uh, normally we have good weather and instead all of our, every afternoon, there's huge storms that came in. We had to go inside and this, our students instead of going back to their condos and their rooms to hang out and watch movies, we're like, no, we're going to the church room, right? And so they, that was my five-minute call. Oh, okay. Um, and so they, they would, like, refuse to be by themselves. And instead, everybody was together. The girls somehow convinced the guys to dance to single ladies in the, in the talent show. It was amazing. They choreographed the whole thing, right? They get back on the bus and uh, on the way home, and they start their own group me. And it's just the senior hires. And we were like, guys, again, intentionally, we said to them, this is not just your place. We don't get to just take away, take our camp home with us. We've got 20, 30 other friends that didn't make it to camp this year. This, you don't just leave this. Intentionally reach out to the other ones. And so they did. So they spent the entire six-hour ride home on their phones grabbing everybody else's number and putting them all in the group me, whether they wanted it or not. <laughs> right? And... And from that time on, they hung out. Like, all it took was one person saying, Brewster, 7 o'clock. It's an ice cream place in Atlanta. Brewster, 7 o'clock. 20 kids would show up. And that happened. They did movie nights. They went bowling, weirdly, because bowling has become a thing again, by the way, bowling. Um, <laughs> thankfully, not I, skating rinks. I can't do that, So, but thankfully it hasn't come back yet. Um, and here they are. They, they, they are still kind of existing in this beautiful little place of like they all really love each other. I'm not saying in any way that, again, I'm not an expert on this. This was fully God, like fully God. I've been doing this too long for me to believe it in any way, shape, or form is who I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know myself too well. But I also do look at this ministry that has come out of what I've read in here and what I've understood and what I think the spirit of the Lord calls us to is the church, which is to provide a place that is safe and vulnerable and intentional for our students to create places <coughs> where, again, it's not about being flashy. It's not about having the coolest thing. It's not about uh, throwing a ton of money at it because, y'all, I don't know about you guys. Like, my church has been through so many ups and downs. We've had years where we had zero budget. We've had years where we had a lot. We've had everything in between. Some of y'all come from places where you're like, budget? What's a budget? <laughs> I have $5 to get me home, right? Like, and I get that. So please hear, it's not about space. It's not about flashiness. It's not about getting the coolest new thing. It is about providing and creating a place, and that starts with you as the leader. Are you someone who is safe? Do your students know that you are safe and that you can be vulnerable with them and that you can hear their vulnerabilities? And are you intentional in how you think about your ministry to them? All of these things come out of us understanding the gospel for ourselves, understanding the good news of Jesus, that he himself, above anything else, is the king of being safe and the king of being vulnerable and the king of being intentional. And when we know him in that and we see him do that work in us, then that just overflows into our ministry and says, this is the type of place I want to create because I want my students to know Jesus. I want my students to hear his name. I want my students to know the hope of Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Let me pray for us. Um, I want to pray and end so that if you all want to go, you can go to other things. If some of you all want to stay after and talk, we can do that too.
Jesus, you are our king. And it is our honor to serve you. It is our honor to, to kneel before you and to submit to you, to do the work that you have called us to do. Um, but Jesus, we are a mixture of things. We are tired and exhausted because this conference has been so fun we have not slept. We are tired and exhausted because our session is not supportive of us. We are tired and exhausted because our students don't show up. We are tired and exhausted because parents keep sending us emails even though our outer office is on. We are tired and exhausted often, Jesus, because we aren't actually looking to you. We are tired and exhausted because the work you've called us to do is so good and so glorious and yet so incredibly hard. Jesus, we thank you for being the king that sees us and is so safe for us. You are safe for us to come to and to be fully seen and fully accepted. King Jesus, we are so grateful that you are so vulnerable with us, that you see our vulnerability and you see our weakness and you see the ways in which we are reaching out for you imperfectly and you meet us there. Jesus, would you make us people that, are, that can hold vulnerability for our students? King Jesus, we are so thankful that you are intentional with us and you intentionally teach us and show us what it looks like to rebuild and to renew and to restore the brokenness of the world. Jesus, you are our king, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Rooted Podcast, where we hope to communicate the truths of the gospel and apply those truths to youth ministry. We would love for you to check out our website, where we publish articles daily geared towards both youth ministers and parents. You will also find resources and more information about our conferences, regional events, and more at www.rootedministry.com.